0: Thank you, brother, and good morning to all of you. I'm glad that you're here. We're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 21 this morning, continuing on in this book that is so applicable. And this is what it says, Jeremiah 21, verses 8 through 10, just three verses this morning. And to this people you shall say, thus says the Lord, Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. He who stays in this city shall die by the sword, by famine and by pestilence, But he who goes out and surrenders to the Chaldeans who are besieging you shall live and shall have his life as a prize of war. For I have set my face against this city for harm and not for good, declares the Lord. It shall be given into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall burn it with fire. This is the word of God. Thanks for coming. You can be seated. As you see, we're on a more serious note as a lot of this book is going to continue to be, unfortunately, because of the seriousness of the people's sin. And so let's pray. Please bow with me as we pray that we see our sin as serious as well. Father, I pray that you would please help us this morning to take your word seriously as we ought. Lord, I pray that you would also help us to know the truth that you're also very serious to forgive sin when we come to you in repentance and submission to your word and Submission to your will. So Father, I pray that you would use this word this morning to do both the warning of the sinner and also the welcoming of the one who comes to you in faith. Lord, please do both. Please use it for both this morning. I do pray. Draw sinners to yourself and save sinners. And I pray for us, Lord, your people, your saints, that you would continue to build us up in the most holy faith. Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your word this morning, and I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, when we were missionaries many years ago, when we were in Belize, now prior to Belize we were in Costa Rica, but Costa Rica was much more developed than Belize was. Belize is um, not third world, but a developing country for sure. Even the most developed part of the country, which was Belize City, even Belize City didn't have a McDonald's. So that tells you something, right? I mean, if McDonald's isn't even there, goodness gracious. Well, I remember shopping there. We were in a little town down south called Punta Gorda, which was actually the less developed portion of the country. And I remember shopping there and the minimal amount of choices we had when it came to what we could buy, like for example, when it came to shopping, now this is actually a picture from a grocery store in Belize. What you see in those bags there is sugar and flour and rice and beans. Now, when it came to buying those things, there were usually only two options. One of those bags was going to be the less quality, and one bag was going to be a little bit better quality. There was a time where the good sugar was nowhere to be found in the country because that's one of the main exports of Belize because they have so much cane sugar there um, that they, they export sugar. Well, they exported all the good stuff and only the bad stuff was left for the people that lived in the country. And so that's, all, that's the only choice we had was the, the, the less quality stuff. Well, we learned when using that sugar In our coffee, it's not good to the very last drop. You don't drink the very bottom, because what's at the very bottom is sandy, gritty, nasty stuff. So we learned you leave about an inch in the bottom, and then you're just, you're happy that morning. If you throw it back like we like to do, don't waste any. You're going to wish you wasted it. We also learned that The beans there, if you ever bought the lower quality beans, well, what you had to do was you had to come home and dump them out on the table or on a big sheet like a pan and flatten them out, pick all the rocks out before you cook them. Well, that got old, so what we learned was, you know, there's a restaurant right around the corner because you could walk everywhere in that town. So small, this restaurant, they made stew beans. And these Belizean ladies, they know how to spice them up just right so we quickly learned, you know, you could just walk down the street and go buy a huge thing of stewed beans that are already ready, that are already warm, that are already hot for just so little. And we just come home and dump that on the rice, because he wants to pick rocks out of your beans? So the options there were just very little. Now, they did have some things that they imported from the states. It was very inconsistent. It was very expensive. He did, didn't have a lot of options. He so said, you got what you got. You learned to live with it. Well, when we would come home on furlough, and this really happened, and I've heard this happen to other missionaries as well. This happened to Amy once too. She was shopping at a grocery store, and she beholds a selection like this of ketchup and the like. I mean, you have Hunt's, you have Heinz, you have the store brand, great value. You've got no salt added You have organic tomato. I mean, you have so many options that she once called me. Not a joke. She called me because she was, the options were so overwhelming and she was so not used to being back in the States yet. And she called me and she said, I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm freaking out. I can't even, I can't even pick what I need to pick. I don't know if this is a good deal or not. And I don't want to get the wrong one. And I said, babe, just, just, just grab one just grab one. I don't care how much it costs, just grab one. She said, okay. I even saw somebody I know, and I don't even want to talk to them. I just, I don't know. <laughs> and I've heard other missionaries going through the same thing. I didn't struggle with that. I actually dreamed of all the stuff that I could eat when I got back on furlough. I was like, look at all these options. It was just like raking it in the buggy. And Amy said, how much did all that cost? I said, I don't know. <laughs> I, was, I just wanted it. <laughs> she didn't shop like that. So we're spoiled with all the options here in the States when it comes to our food. Just totally spoiled. And we're spoiled with the options when it comes to a career too. I mean, think about when you go to college. People say, take this placement test because of, you could, there's 40 different positions you could pick from. You could be in the military. You could be a nurse. You could be a teacher. You could be a doctor, police, policeman, fireman. You have so many options. Well, it wasn't that way long ago. Like in Jesus' time, think about it. What was your option for a job then? You're gonna work with dad and do what dad does and help dad get money for the family so he can eat. Or I may let you go work with uncle who's got a different job, but those are your only choices. Very few choices. Well, when it comes to following the Lord, there's only ever been two choices. That's why I've titled the message this morning, there's only ever been two He really narrows it down. There's only ever two choices. And as you saw in our text this morning, he's speaking to the people, and he gives them two choices. Now, in this same chapter, did you you notice I'm starting sort of in the middle of this chapter? Well, verses 1 through 7, he's talking to a king, because the destruction of Jerusalem... And the destruction of the temple are imminent. God is coming in judgment, and it is a sure judgment that is surely coming. And God was raising up King Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonians, as his own hammer in his own hand to come and bring judgment against a stiff-necked and rebellious and idolatrous people. Who were they? Well, the people of Judah. These were God's people. And God was bringing a hammer against them because his people had become like those people that Paul describes in Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, Paul says this about unbelieving people. He says, Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And that describes the people of God in this day. That's what happened to them. Although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him. They went into their own thinking. They went into their own minds. They went into their own wisdom and they went into their own wicked hearts and said, we will gain counsel from there. We'll get counsel from ourselves and we'll do what we want to do. Well, in verses one through seven of our chapter this morning, there's a king and King Zedekiah. He's hoping to secure some miracle from the hand of God. That's what he wants because that happened in the past. With King Hezekiah, God intervened. This miracle took place and delivered this king from the hands of the enemies. And so King Zedekiah, he sends these officials to Jeremiah that they might inquire, that he might inquire of God on his behalf. Hey, do something for me and, and, and let me know if God's going to help me out the way he helped out these people of old Maybe he will, unfortunately, for Zedekiah, his fate was already sealed because he learned from Jeremiah in verses 1 through 7. He was, in fact, going to be struck down by the edge of the sword, the sword of Nebuchadnezzar and his army. That was his fate. It was going to happen. However, once we get in our verses, verses 8 through 10, you see now he's got a message for who? How does verse 8 start? And to this people you shall say. See, verses 1 through 7, we're about the king and what's going to happen to him. But, verse 8 says, But to this people you shall say this, thus says the Lord, Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. You have two choices. You have two options. It's not like here in the States where you have all these options for all this food and careers and whatever else. You've got two options, he says, when it comes to how you're going to respond to me. Now, it's a very unique time because they were far, far, far past the point of what we might call no return when it came to receiving full salvation from God as far as full rescue. We're way past that. Their only options were this. You can die or you can surrender and be slaves. Those were the two options for them then. He who stays in the city, verse 9 says, shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. Not great options. You can die by the sword. You can starve to death or disease. But he who goes out and surrenders to the Chaldeans who are besieging you shall live and shall have his life as a prize, which that would have been considered treason. But God says... Those are your choices. Those are your choices. There's only ever been two ways when it comes to God. When it comes to life here on this earth, we have two choices the way of life or the way of death, light or darkness, truth or lies, good or evil, heaven or hell, the hard heart or the new heart. Being a child of God or being a child of the devil. It is very, very black and white in the scriptures. So black and white, that's why some people can't stand it. That's why some people attack the Bible because they need it to not be true. When I first became a Christian, a gentleman was speaking to me. And he was trying to convince me that Christianity is false. Once he found out, that I was a Christian and I was committed to this way, he was trying to tell me, you know, you really can't make a lot of money doing that, Cohen. And I said, well, it's not about the money for me. I don't really care about money when it comes to the future, possibly in the ministry or not. I don't know, but I'm not concerned about the money. And he said, well, listen, let me tell you this. Listen, I had a brother back in the day when we were younger. You know, he was bad, he was wild, rebellious. And then, you know, he started hanging out with this church group and things turned around. He started playing the guitar, started going to these youth meetings and things like that. And you know, for a while, he was big into it. But he said, you know what? He stopped doing all that. And he, he went right back to the way he was, Cohen. And this is what he said to me. He said this phrase. I'll never forget it. He said, Cohen, there's nothing there. That's what he said to me. There's nothing there. It's empty. That's what he was trying to tell me. Now, I know this man's lifestyle. I know how he was and how he lived. I don't know why he was saying those things to me. Because he really needed Christianity to not be true. He needed it to not be true, or else, guess what? He was guilty, and he would have to have a guilty conscience, and he would have to submit to God if it was true. That's one reason why people either ignore it or hate it, because they need it to not be true. Because if it's true... Then they're wrong. And if they're wrong, then they're guilty. And if they're guilty, then they have to feel that guilt. And they have to submit to God. And prideful man, he's not into submitting. It's not in his nature to submit to anyone. I'm the boss. I do what I wanna do, when I wanna do it, with who I wanna do it, with how I wanna do it, with as much money as I wanna do it with. And I'll get money how I wanna get money too. Maybe you say it's wrong. I think it's right. Who are you to tell me? Therefore, they have to attack this truth, or they have to change it, or they have to just sort of wink at it like they, they, I'll give it a little time, you know, I'll give it a little time to get this person off my back, but I don't believe it. There's only ever been two paths, two ways, two choices. Only ever been two when it comes to God. Deuteronomy 11. So let's go, let's go back. We're in the time of the prophets. Let's go, let's go back to when God was still giving his law to his people before they even entered into the promised land. Here they are about to get snatched out of the promised land. Let's go back to before they ever even entered it. Deuteronomy 11:26 26 and 28. God speaking through Moses to the people... See, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. But turn aside from the way that I command you today to go after other gods that you have not known. How many options there? Two. The blessing if you obey, the curse if you disobey. Now we're going to talk more about disobedience, because if you're thinking, oh gosh, well, I mean, well, who can perfectly obey? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about perfection in your obedience. I'm talking about direction in your life as a God follower. That's what he's talking about here as well. Like, if you're gonna be true God followers, you're gonna walk in his commands is what he's saying. We're not talking about necessarily salvation yet, but we will. Then towards the end of the book, He brings it up again and expounds upon it a bit more, unpacks it a bit more. Look at Deuteronomy 30, verses 15 through 20. Deuteronomy 30, 15 through 20, on the screen behind me. See, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by, how? By loving your God, by walking in his way, and by keeping his, command, his commandments and statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you're entering to take possession of it. But, now look at this. If your heart turns away, stubbornness of heart, and you will not hear, refusing to listen, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, holding fast to him. You know what it means to hold fast to something? It means you hold so tight and you don't let go. For he is your life in length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord your God swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. There it is again. It's at the front of the book. It's at the back of the book. Sort of like a choose the way sandwich. You get it at the front, and you get it at the back. He's telling them, you've got to make a choice. We want to float through life as if there's a neutral, and we'll talk about that in a second. Joshua, even. Joshua, who came along after Moses, he's the one who takes over the reins, takes over leadership after Moses. Well, he gets the people into the promised land, and they conquer a lot of the kings. There's still work to be done. Joshua knows his life is drawing near to an end. And he knows, I'm not going to see the complete finishing of the driving of the people out of this land. You are all, all going to have to carry on after me. So let me give you a pep talk. I mean, these are some of my final words. And towards the end of the book, we get a few um, speeches from Joshua to the people. Because you know, my time is my time's drawing near. You guys are going to carry on after me. So listen to what I'm telling you. And listen to what he tells them, Joshua 24. 15. Joshua 24, 15. You all know this one. It's very familiar. Some of you might even have the last part here hanging up in your home. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He's saying, you've got to make a choice. You have to to choose, and there are only two choices. There are not a plethora of choices. There are not a plethora of ways. Scripture shows is very exclusive, very minimal, the amount of choices. Even Jesus said, the path is wide and broad that leads to death, and many go through it. But narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there be that, Find it. Two paths, he said. Two. One is huge. Masses are flowing through it. And one is small. The path going in is a single file line. One after another. One after another. Very small. Not a lot of people care to go that way. There's an old um, piece of writing from, we're not exactly sure when it was written either pre 100 or just a little bit after 100. And what I mean is like the year 100. Uh, and it's called the Didache, Didache, which means in Greek it just means teaching. That word means teaching, Didache. And it's shortened for the heading that's at the top of this short little letter because the heading at the top says, The Lord's teaching through the 12 apostles to the nations. So instead of that long thing, they just shortened it to the word teaching. It says the Lord's teaching through the 12 apostles. Did the 12 apostles write this? Eh, we don't know for sure, but it's sort of a summation of some things that were taught by Jesus and that the early church believed. Well, in the Didache, there's a section about the two ways. When they were writing about this 2000 years ago as well, the early Christians There's a section in there that says the two ways. Let me just read from it. There are two ways, one of life and one of death. There's a great difference between the two. The way of life is this, first of all, is you should love God that made you. So that's the first and greatest commandment, love the Lord your God. Secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. We're told that's the second greatest commandment, right? In all things whatsoever you not have befall neither do to anyone. So they're saying, and then do unto others as you would have them do unto you—the golden rule. So he says, that's the way of life. That's what they're saying in the Didache, long ago. This is the way of life: love God, love your neighbor, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. They're saying that's the way of life. Just a summation, really, of the greatest teachings in Scripture. But then they say this: this is much more extensive. The way of death is this. First of all, it is evil and full of curse, murders, adulteries, lusts, fornication, thefts, idolatries, magical arts, witchcraft, plunderings, false witnesses, hypocrisies, doubleness of heart, treachery, pride, malice, stubbornness, covetousness, foul speaking, jealousy, boldness, exaltation, boastfulness, persecutors of good men, hating truth, loving a lie, not perceiving the reward of righteousness. Not cleaving to the good nor to the righteous judgment. Wakeful not for that which is good but for that which is evil. From whom gentleness and forbearance stand aloof. That means far off. Loving vain things. Pursuing a recompense. Not pitying the poor man. Not toiling for him that is oppressed with toil. Not recognizing him that made him. Murderers of Children. Corrupters of the creatures of God, turning away from him that is in want, oppressing him that is afflicted, advocating of the wealthy, unjust judges of the poor, altogether sinful. May you be delivered, my children, from all these things. Quite an extensive list. They covered almost all the sins, didn't they? But they were showing even back then there are two ways. These were the early, early, early Christians. Witnesses maybe even of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is what they were saying. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed from Deuteronomy to Joshua to Jeremiah to what we're going to see from Jesus here in a moment and even to the early Christians. Nothing's changed. There's only ever been two ways. And we think there's some type of neutral ground. We do think there is some type of neutral ground. I've spoken to people who say, well, yeah, I'm not a Christian, but I'm not, a, I'm not a, a devil worshiper. I've heard that saying. They think, I'm just in the middle. I'm, I'm still figuring it out, man. I got time. You think you have time. I did a funeral yesterday for a woman who used to sit right there. Her name is Angie Sandlin. She just sat there months ago even. I did not expect to be doing her funeral yesterday. None of us did. None of us expected to be there. She was 61, I believe. <laughs> you're in, if you're in neutral, I know what you're thinking. I got time. I'll figure it out. OK? There's so many people in hell, so many people in hell that are thinking, "I did not expect to come to this place." I had plans. We were going to go on vacation. We were going to do this. I was saving up for this thing. I, I was doing that. I was getting ready to retire. I had plans. I did not expect to come here, and now I am in torment, and I wish someone could go back and tell all my loved ones not to come to this horrible place. We think there's some type of neutral ground when it comes to following God, or submitting to God, and it's just not possible to be in neutral. If you're in neutral, I heard someone once say this, there's the turf of the wicked one, there's the turf of the devil, and there's God's turf, and there's the fence in the middle. And people say, well, I'm sitting on the fence. I heard someone say, the devil owns the fence. (laughs) If you're on the fence, you're not in the light. Listen to what Jesus said. If, if you think, Cohen, you're just being way too black and white with this. You're just being, it's, it's, you're wrong. And you're wrong because I think you're wrong. Okay, then what do you do with this verse? Luke eleven twenty three. 23. Look at it on the screen. What do you do with this verse? I mean, what do you think this verse means? Jesus said this. Whoever's not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me Scatters. What do you think that means? Like, what do you think Jesus is trying to say there? What's his point? Otherwise, if you're not with me, you're against me. Isn't that what he's saying? That's what he means. And we sometimes think it's sinful and bad and weird and judgmental to speak in absolutes because we want there to be gray areas. We we want there to be, because we want to fit into the gray areas in our flesh. So very black and white for the Lord in the scriptures. There have only ever been two ways, and you have to choose. You have to. And if you're thinking, later. Yes, yes, that's a big choice, Cohen, you're right. You're right. It's a big choice, though. So I'm going to think about it. Awesome. Okay. But if you think long, you think wrong. Concerning the people of Jeremiah's day, Warren Wearsby writes this. Since Nebuchadnezzar was doing the work of God and punishing the kingdom of Judah. Now, let me clarify that. Nebuchadnezzar didn't think in his head, I'm doing the work of Yahweh. That's not what he was thinking. He was just thinking, I want this land. This king is not submitting to me. He's not paying tribute to me. And I'm going to go take them over. I'm bigger than them. I'm stronger than them. And that temple has tons of gold in it. And I'm going to go get it. That's what he was thinking. I've got the bigger stick. I'm going to go beat them up. And take them, because they're not submitting to me. So, let me clarify. He did not think in his head, I'm doing God's work. But we see here, God says, I'm raising up a nation to come and invade you. So that's what he means when he says, since Nebuchadnezzar was doing the work of God and punishing the kingdom of Judah. And since God was allied with Babylon in fighting Judah, listen, to surrender to Babylon really meant to surrender to the will of God. It meant to confess guilt and to submit to the hand of the Lord. Rebellion against the Babylonians was, at this point, rebellion against the Lord. And that was the way of death. And God's people today, as God's people today, we need to recognize that the only safe and sane response to God's chastening hand is submission. Like it says in Hebrews 12, 9, furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of Spirits and live? The implication of the question is that we might not live if we don't submit to the will of God, unquote, Warren Wiersbe. We might not live if we don't submit to the will of God, he said. And that's 100% true. The will of God for your life is that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved because that's the one way that he's made for man to be saved from sin. And it's the only way that there will ever be. And if you're looking for another way, then you're saying, no thanks God, gonna do it my way. Because that's the only way he's made. Jesus Christ took the punishment for you that you deserve. It had no business falling upon him. He kept all of God's righteous laws. He pleased the Father. The Father even said of Jesus when he was baptized, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. You know why he was so pleased with the Son? Because he perfectly obeyed the Father. He kept all his righteous laws. He loved the Father with a perfect love. But he took the punishment of the Father as if he was the most wicked, vile demon from hell. All the cumulative sins of all men who would ever believe ever were placed on Jesus Christ and he bore that wrath. He drank that bitter cup down to the very last drops. But he didn't stay dead, did he? Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord and if I have authority to lay it down, I have authority to take it up again. Even death Can't conquer Jesus. It's our great enemy, death, right? Because the wages of sin is death. Those are the wages that we've earned. Jesus showed that he has authority over death and hell when he was raised from the dead. And if you'll put your faith and trust in what he did for you on the cross, cross, you can be forgiven of your sins. You will be forgiven of your sins. That's what the Bible says. The word of God makes that clear. And we have to submit to that. But to submit to that way. And it's a glorious way. Why would we not want to submit to it? I'll tell you why you won't submit to it if you haven't submitted to it. Because of your pride. Break down your pride. Break down your pride. Submit to the will of God. It is a good will and he's a good father. And he only means you're good. You have an enemy whispering in your ear, lying to you, saying, don't believe that. It's not true. It's narrow. It is it's false. It's made up. It's made up. What about all those other people in those other religions? What about that guy that you work with that you're such a good friend with? If you believe that, then you have to think he's going to go to hell. What about your mom? What about your dad? What about your uncle who you love so much who you knew died without Jesus? You have to believe he's in hell then. Don't do it. Don't do it. You don't want that. Trust me. You're doing okay. You'll, you'll get things figured out. Just, just listen. Go home, eat that meal you like, watch that game you want to watch. Just, we'll think about this later. Ever had those feelings? It's the enemy. It's the enemy. There's two ways. Choose the good way. Come to the Father, through the Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Be saved. Let me end with this quote. I forget who said it. Tried to find this morning. Who said it? Couldn't find it. I'm going to end with this. Those who have not been born again will, will one day wish they were never born at all. Those who have not been born again will one day wish they had never been born at all. I know. This is a bit more of a serious message. But if you're going to go to hell, you're going to have to jump over me to get there. I'm warning you today. Father, we thank you for this wonderful truth that there are only two ways, and there have only ever been two ways, but thank you that there even is a way for us to be saved, Lord. You didn't send the angels that send a savior. You didn't. But you sent man who sinned a savior. You're giving us a way to be saved. You've given us a way to be saved. Thank you, Lord, that you saved me so many years ago when I was Foolish, Lord, I'm so grateful that you drew me to yourself and took me out of the darkness, put me into the light, and I pray that for every soul that's in the sound of my voice that's not saved yet, Lord, save sinners. We love you, Father. We thank you for your good word. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Let's stand.